Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph on a day after Agnieszka Radvanska brought out the Jedi from within and used the force to quell Petra Kvitova and the rest to win the WTA Finals in Singapore. And talking of Jedis, Obi-Wan himself, Roger Federer, was back to his intergalactic best. It's good this, isn't it? To overcome his own personal Darth Vader, Rafael Nadal, 6-3 in the third set in Basel. We'll be talking about all of that. We'll discuss whether round robin works. We'll talk about whether the season is too long. I've been canvassing the opinion of all sorts of people about those two issues. And we'll hear about the new generation of American players coming through the ranks, including Taylor Fritz, who met the great Pete Sampras in his ATP Champions Tour event in Mexico last week. Sampras gave him a birthday cake. Pretty cool, isn't it? First of all, though, let's say hello to Singapore's Catherine Whittaker, because that's where you've been, isn't it, Catherine? I have, but I no longer belong to Singapore, thank goodness. I'm back in slightly more temperate climbs. Uh, Yes, you are. And the the first thing that happened to you was that you couldn't watch Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal. What happened? It well, Sky Broadband happened. A monumental failure on the part of Sky Broadband. Uh, It was out across South London. I'm sure there are people listening, uh, feeling my pain from yesterday. Throughout Sunday, no broadband. And uh, I've used up my entire 4G allowance for the month uh, to stream. I had to use the lengths I went to. I had to to tether my laptop to my phone and uh, stream the tennis on there uh, using my 4G. I mean worth every penny but pennies that i hope sky will uh, be reimbursing me for because uh, it was absolutely a- catherine whittaker don't don't mess with catherine sky broadband that's my advice uh, she's not happy uh, now catherine just before we get on to talking about the wta finals in singapore where agnieszka radvanska was the champion just a quick note here from victoria Smythe. we were talking about places and times that our listeners uh, listen to the tennis podcast this is my absolute personal favorite and it was it was given to me on halloween night victoria says i listen to the tennis podcast while trick-or-treating tonight that's a bit weird don't you have to you know be have have don't you need to be able to listening be able to be listening to what's going on i, I need to know more about those circumstances i feel like is, wh- is the podcast the trick or the treat that's what i want to know do they do they say it right your trick is you have to listen to the entire back catalogue. <laughs> while while we're back on the subject of uh, I, there was a glaring omission 
uh, when we last discussed weird, most weird and wonderful places that people listen to the podcast because uh, my dear dad uh, isn't on Twitter, but if he were, I feel, I, I feel I should on his behalf submit the fact that he listened to every podcast for six months uh, whilst bobbing around on uh, the Pacific Ocean. I, that has to be up there in the, amongst the top ranks of tennis podcast listening locations. That is pretty good. I mean, the, the one slight concern about that is imagine all the listening material out there in the world and he chose to listen to this rubbish. I mean, what is he thinking? Anyway, Agnieszka Radvanska was the champion in Singapore. Two million dollars she scooped. She was tearful at the end. And I think there were a few other people tearful watching her win that tournament, Catherine, because she was a really a joy to behold, wasn't she? The way she played the game dealing with the power of Muguruza and then Kvitova in the final, it was a pleasure to watch. It was a pleasure to watch. I know uh, we've debated at length in the past few podcasts about, you know, aesthetic appreciation and what you enjoy on the tennis court being completely subjective. And of course, to an extent it is, there will be people out there that don't enjoy watching Agnieszka Radvanska for whatever reason, and that can't be helped. But I do think you know, there's a reason why she's been winning those fan favourite awards. And, and to, to generalise for a moment, she is a joy to watch. She is because she's something different. She she wins rallies in the most sensational fashion, you know, pulling out these extraordinary drop volleys, anticipating where the ball's going to be in a way that, that no other players can. And she does it time after time. I, I, every time I watch her, I think... Well, that was an extraordinary rally and an extraordinary shot to win, to win the point. But surely she can't pull that out enough times to to win a match and then lo and behold she does it and she did it enough times to uh, to actually win what is now the the biggest tournament victory of her career and I thoroughly enjoyed every every minute that I I watched of her in in full flow yeah I was I'm using all the toe curling Star Wars references in the opener but they, they do stand I think because if you think of, of how the Jedis go about their business in Star Wars, they do everything without looking and they can close their eyes and do it blindfolded. And you, you get the feeling that Redvanska could play tennis like that. She does all these sort of... Her anticipation is just... There's a sixth sense about it. That's exactly what I was going to say. And it's interesting you mentioned tennis blindfolded because uh, one of the things they did out in Singapore uh, was a demonstration on the centre court the centre court of Soundball, which is tennis for the blind. Uh, and it was with Arantxa Sanchez Vicario and she was blindfolded and, and the tennis ball um, has a tiny little bell in it, which makes a, 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 a very low level noise. And uh, I mean, it's, it's an incredible sport. I'd recommend you, you get out there. It's not, it's not the only sport where the, the version for, for the blind or visually impaired is, I think, uh, Football for the blind and visually impaired also involves a uh, the ball having a little bell in it. It's so fascinating. Um, and Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario was amazing at it. Absolutely amazing. They just put this blindfold on her. And she knew, I mean, with the minute help of this little tinkle, she knew where that ball was going to be. And I would imagine Agnieszka Radvanska would be every bit as good if if not better because she understands the flight of a tennis ball and understands her her opponents um better i think than anybody else on tour it's murray-esque really it's murray-esque yeah absolutely now uh petra kvitova came through the round robin stages having only won one match out of the three i think she'll be pretty happy with how things went the fact that she got to the final and particularly given the physical ailments that 
that have she's been suffering from over the last 12 months or so. Maria Sharapova was a semi-finalist. She went 3-0 and in the round-robin stages. I think she would have signed up to that in a heartbeat before the event because we didn't even know if the woman would be able to play. I think before the event she would have done. However, now, having played as well as she did uh, in those first three matches and for patches of that semi-final match as well, I think she now will be thoroughly disappointed because after those first three matches, she was the, uh, well, with with the addition of uh, Garbinia Muguruza, she was the nailed-on favourite, at least for the final, which, yes, she wasn't going in. There were many question marks, but, but by that stage, I think she would have been disappointed with anything other than, at the very least, the final. Um, I think in the bigger picture, this is obviously a huge step forward for her. She hadn't played since... Wimbledon so to get three match wins very impressive match wins over the three three of the best players in the world of course that's sensational but I think still on the day she lost to Petra Kvitova that will have been a bitter pill to swallow I think because we know how high the standards Maria Sharapova sets for herself are and you know I described in the last podcast her game her game face in that in that backstage room before the draw you know she she wanted this badly and after those first three matches she will have thought there's no reason I can't win it so for her Martina Navratilova said that uh, Agnieszka Radvanska's performance in that final was the best of her entire career pretty generous words particularly given the fact that it didn't work out too well for them early on in the year uh, as, as a coaching and player relationship but I still wonder whether maybe remnants of that relationship are responsible for what we're seeing now. Some of the advice, the guidance that Navratilova gave. But those are those are very, very big words. And I just wonder whether from here, Radvanska is a genuine Grand Slam title contender for next year. Yeah, but I think she has been. All I mean, maybe not in the early parts of this year, where there definitely was something missing and that relationship with Martina Navratilova, for whatever reason, I think a lot of people thought that would be a match made in heaven, but it was obviously like square peg and round hole in practice. Um, and I'd love to hopefully one day uh, one or both of them will talk about why that relationship didn't work out because I'd love to know. Um, but I, I think she has been a Grand Slam contender for a number of years now. I mean, look at the WTA Tour. Flavia Panetta won the last Grand Slam. I mean, of course, Agnieszka Radvanska is capable of winning a Grand Slam. She just needs to string it together at the right time. And unfortunately, and she's not alone in this, probably not meet Serena Williams uh, along along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that, that is one of the big question marks, isn't it? Because Serena Williams has always dominated her, as has Sharapova. That's what made, I think, Radvanska's dealing with Kvitova and Muguruza of the power that they possess. So impressive. But anyway, Radvanska's the champion. They celebrated that in Warsaw outside the Olympic Stadium by putting the words Bravo Aga around the Olympic Stadium, which was a, a lovely touch and shows just how much of an impact the, her victory had over, the, over there. And she can now go into the off-season. Uh, another subject we'll be discussing a little bit later in the podcast with a big smile on her face. Now, Rafael Nadal against Roger Federer, installment 34. 
happened on Sunday and it went to Roger Federer in a third set but it was a a pretty thrilling encounter Nadal came back and won the second set 7-5 it was in Federer's hometown of Basel a tournament where he's reached the final the last 10 years in a row but first and foremost Catherine just nice to see those two players sharing the court again it's been nearly two years the Australian Open in 2014 being the last yeah I, I had goosebumps almost throughout I had that Weird, bittersweet feeling that you sort of get when watching the Wimbledon final, you know, of, oh, this is this is the pinnacle, but it's also the sign that it's all going to be over really soon. And uh, I now have that with Federer and Nadal. I hope, I hope not too soon, but you don't know when the last one will be. You don't know. It's taken two years for them to meet, so... You'd be surprised, probably. I mean, you can argue with me, but you'd be, if it takes another two years for them to meet again... You'd be surprised if... if Probably be on the Champions Tour. Well, exactly, exactly. So I did have that feeling of, oh my gosh, I've got to savour every single minute of this. Damn you, Sky Broadband. I had so many emotions going on all at the same time. And I just, I revelled in every moment of it from a sort of nostalgic point of view, just from a tennis appreciation point of view, because it is the most glorious clash of styles, isn't it? It's, it, every, it's the perfect rivalry and it reminded me of that and it it reminded me of it sort of renewed we're not going to go back into the whole thing of it again but it renewed for me I think the point that I was trying to make during our Novak Djokovic discussion of how enhancing a rivalry is to somebody's dominance you know most incredibly dominant players over the years have had that one rivalry that always tests them and you know for Federer it was Nadal it's it's a defining feature of of dominance to have a a significant rivalry and and I just think if somebody could come along and be Djokovic's Nadal what Nadal is to Federer if somebody could be that to Novak Djokovic I think it would it would just enhance tennis it would enhance Djokovic's dominance in a way because I do think everything that Nadal has done and their rivalry enhanced Federer's greatness at the times of their their greatest matches and and I I reveled in every moment of yesterday yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Abby says that tennis fans everywhere were rejoicing. These guys were playing at such a high level once again. On Twitter, Zubair says it was a great match and I cried a little bit at the end seeing two legends pass their primes but still playing great tennis. Uh, Biggish Mouse said uh, both still very capable in their own right but can they challenge and really take down Djokovic? That, for me, is the key. That is the big question. Mr. I.A. Grant, very formal. Mr. Ayer Grant says Nadal is slowly closing the gap again. Will we see a renewed Big Four rivalry in 2016 with Vavrinka making it five, perhaps? Oliver says, Oliver Eastbrook says, great to witness two legends competing for a title again, both a long way from Djokovic, though. Tom says plenty of damage they can deal to the hegemony at the top of the game, but I'd argue that the best strategy would be to drop outside the top eight and meet Novak early on. Imagine if you did that. Imagine if you played rubbish all year uh, just it, so is, that you could play Novak Is he on. referring to Federer there or Nadal? Because that sort of happened at the French Open and didn't quite work out brilliantly for, for Nadal, did it? I think I'm going to try that, Catherine. I'm going to play rubbish early on you're so gonna that try, I can meet you early on in a tournament. You're going to try dropping out of the world's top eight. I, I, I back yeah. you to do that somehow, David. 
<laughs> Thanks. Uh, Clutch on and win. What a great Twitter handle that is. Says, in short, on hard court, neither of them have got any chance against Djokovic. He changes direction too well. And finally, Scott Brown says... If they play him against, against him together, they might have a chance. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. I mean, yes, they would have a chance. So if you're asking for my opinion on that input, uh, yes, they would probably be the favourites. Yeah, they probably would be. Now, we were talking about uh, round-robin play earlier on and uh, and what we think of it. Obviously, the ATP World Tour finals are coming up fairly soon. Andy Murray, overnight, by the way, Catherine, has confirmed at the Paris Masters that he fully intends to play the O2, which is certainly the, the feeling, I think, that, that, that we were getting towards over the last few weeks. Um, obviously, he'd, he'd questioned that significantly at the Davis Cup tie in that interview that he did with the BBC. But... It does appear that he intends to play. He's also revealed that he's been practicing and preparing for the Davis Cup final on clay before the O2. So that is a, a very unusual method, isn't it? I mean, a couple of people reminded me that Stan Wawrinka was doing something similar a year ago. Obviously, Federer and Wawrinka both played the O2 and went on to win the Davis Cup final on clay. So it's not as though it's never been done before, but still... Given that Murray is a player that hasn't always enjoyed that change of surfaces, it's a, it's a big decision to make, isn't it? Uh, it is, but I think it's the only decision. I mean, we've, we've discussed at length how big an, a physical adjustment it is for him to change surfaces to and from clay, more so than for any other top-level player, I think. So I think it's more important for him to to get his body to adjust to the movement on clay. And yes, I do think he's being completely honest when he says he is now intending to play at the O2. However, I do think if he gets onto the clay before the O2 and, and his back presents problems, which I think in the back of his mind he knows is a possibility... I wouldn't be surprised, and, and it would be entirely legitimate, le- legitimate for him to then pull out of the O2. I do think that's not out of the question. Yes, at the moment, as things stand, injury niggles aside, he will play. But we know the difficulty that transferring onto the clay can present, and I think in the back of his mind, he is not ruling out the possibility that he gets on the clay and he experiences issues, probably with the back. That's where it usually usually expresses itself that that transition period so we have to say we'd expect to see him there but I, I certainly if I was in that race for ninth place in the uh, ATP World Tour rankings I wouldn't be giving up hope. No I'd, I'd, I'd not be sort of eating junk food just yet which is what all tennis players if they've got any sense do in the off season isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm reliably informed why wouldn't you? Why, I mean, just one big cake. I've been eating junk food in the off-season and we haven't even started it yet. Uh, Round Robin is what they'll be playing at the ATB World Tour Finals at the O2, of course, in a, in a couple of weeks' time. In, in When is it? It's two weeks' time, isn't it? Uh, and uh, the WTA Finals, of course, was also played Round Robin, eight best players in the world. A lot of chat, though, as to whether that is the best format. Is it not a problem that you had Angelique Kerber needing, I think it was just a set, to go through to the semi-finals, which would have put Petra Kvitova out? And she did appear to be, at least, inhibited by that fact. It seemed as though the permutations were going around in her mind as she was playing her match. Is, it, is that ideal? Should a player that has only won one match and lost two be getting through 
to the semi-finals, Catherine Whitaker. Yeah, I mean, I think round robin is a fantastic thing. I wouldn't want to see it year round, but I think it works perfectly with this format of having the eight best players in the world because being being the best at any moment isn't necessarily about being able to beat absolutely everybody. We've seen that. You know, Roger Federer was the best for many years but had a losing record against Rafael Nadal. I don't think anybody would question that he was still the best during that period. And was, I think, he, was he, though? Was he, though? Oh, having just said, I don't think anybody would question it. Up pipes David Law, of course. Um, I think Angelique Kerber let herself down with the comments she made. I have to say, I mean, that was something, it's the same for everybody. And I know her comments were that those final two matches should be played simultaneously because otherwise it's not fair for everybody but there she knows all of the practical and commercial reasons why that absolutely cannot be the case she knows all those and she understands all those and I think it was a touch of poor loserdom and and knowing I think she knew she'd let herself down a bit in in that match and that that it was a mental bit of a mental failure from her um to, to let that get to her in the way she did and I think she she lashed out you know Angelique Kerber is an absolute delightful lady she really is lovely but she's one of the ones that has the biggest disparity in how she is generally and how she is when she loses she's not a great loser um, and I think that was what expressed itself uh, in those comments and I think I think it's really interesting to see that extra dimension thrown in to see them have to deal with something different that they don't have to at any other stage in the year and and exposed a weakness in Angelique Kerber which we don't see at any other time in the year and I found that really interesting. Was I a good loser? You were an appalling loser, David. Are you giving me another opportunity to mention the fact that you actually made me win that match twice because you demanded a replay on a very clearly in ball. Or was it was it my ball that was in or your ball that was out? Either way, I won that match fair and square twice. Well, are you a good loser? I wouldn't know. You, you wouldn't. I mean, no, no one knows, David. It's 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 the unknown. Hundred <laughs> percent record against everybody in the whole world. Uh, Michael Jabur says round robin is the way to go. It's so exciting, and players should come out swinging, stay in their bubble away from the scenario chatter. Ali says race drivers do it, knowing that they have to finish in a certain place to win the championships. They seem to cope okay. And ATP WTA love says round robin we play knockout all year everyone has more chances this way and it's way more interesting top 16 knockout would make it all a bit boring well there it appears that most people who have had chance to comment have agreed that round robin should stay and i suspect it will do now the other question mark that i put to everybody on social media on twitter at tennis podcast do get in touch with us was about the the off season generally and what people thought of it in terms of how long it should last because obviously the wta circuit ends a good bit earlier than the atp circuit does with uh, its davis cup final taking place right at the end of november and then, of course, we have the IPTL straight after, pretty much. And I was wondering, A, is everybody okay with that? Is, is, is it fine that we, we have that little time without tennis? And B, from a tennis... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Player's perspective what is the ideal situation? So what I did, Catherine, is I, I, I contacted a few people, a few players and coaches and commentators and ex-players on Twitter and canvassed a, a little bit of opinion. To, to and, get more, uh, those... more credible opinions than ours, basically. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, People <laughs> actually know how to play the game, know one end of the racket from the other. Yevgeny Kafelnikov has suddenly become really animated on Twitter with the tennis podcast. He really likes talking to us. And if you'd like to follow him, he's at, at K Yevgeny. I know you know uh, Yevgeny quite well, Catherine, from your time on the ATP Champions Tour. He says, I needed only one week of no tennis in the off-season. One week off. That's all I needed. Yeah, Evgeny was a unique player, in, a unique individual in every way, though, wasn't he? I mean, he, his, he, he did play a more punishing schedule than everybody else. He, I mean, I, I fully believe that that's the case, but I think he's the exception rather than the rule. I mean, he ground out the matches didn't he? he he did used to play week in week out and uh and more often than not he won so uh that's definitely um it's interesting to know but i don't think uh we should be perhaps legislating on the basis of of evgeny kafelnikov's physical makeup because i do think he's the exception rather than the rule 
Well, one interesting thing is that both Robbie Koenig, the uh, the former doubles player and, and now a commentator, he, he and uh, and Yevgeny were both saying on Twitter about they felt that rather than having a long off season, the best thing for a player is to have a few little breaks throughout the year to build in one or two weeks around your schedule. And in Yevgeny's case, he said a week after the Australian Open, one after Wimbledon, one after the US. That's where you should have your breaks rather than having one great big long some at the end of the year yeah i find that very interesting actually maybe we should be talking in terms of you know extending the rest period generally rather than shortening the season um extending the the rest period as a whole i mean um and that's sort of what roger federer is doing now isn't it you, you do see him take two or three weeks off at a couple of points throughout the season of course he's he's in the exceptional category of player for whom Master Series events aren't mandatory, um, but then they are mandatory in the sense that he wants to keep his ranking up. He wants to remain, certainly wants to remain in that top two of the world so he's not meeting Novak Djokovic till the finals. So yes, they're not mandatory, but there is still a great incentive for him to play them. But that is sort of what Federer has done. And look at the, look at the results. I mean, Federer is the, the icon of longevity in the sport, isn't he? So he, in in himself, and also I would give a lot of credence to the words of of Robbie Koenig and, and Ivan Lubacic. Um, it, that's I'd say that's a, a very strong argument. Yeah, Ivan Lubacic was uh, was was very clear as well. He said, "I like smaller breaks instead of long ones, and particularly younger players." Though he said, certainly for older players, better to have a number of smaller breaks. He said, "Younger players though can benefit from the longer off season to make some changes to their game." That was an interesting uh, viewpoint. Uh, Jamie Delgado, who's the coach of Gilles Muller, says that uh, I asked him what Muller is doing with his off season. He said he, he's having a week in Dubai with the family to put his feet up then he'll start properly in mid-November Raymond Slaughter, who was uh, world number 46 uh, a few years ago Dutch player uh, very nice guy and a, and a very excellent really excellent Davis Cup player back in the day as well he said uh, that he used to have two weeks off four weeks for preparation uh, was his normal schedule and in that four week spell of preparation for the new season he would have two times a day of tennis one occasion where he would do some physical work per day and he would do that six days a week imagine doing that lot six days a week crikey i can barely get out of bed to do it once crikey the, and an, another point that's worth, worth mentioning is that the more successful you are the more matches you play that's sort of a, an interesting you know if you're if you're losing first round every week yes you you know on that schedule you could be playing tournament week after week and of course you're on the practice courts on days when you're not on the match court but as we know for various reasons, physical and mental, match court is a lot more stressful uh, on the body and the mind than the practice court. You know, you, if you're losing first round every week, that's significantly fewer matches than than Novak Djokovic and uh, Roger Federer and Andy Murray right at the top who are playing, you know, when they do enter tournaments, they're playing probably five or six times in a, in a week. So uh, the more the more your schedule play, plays dividends, the more you're tying yourself <laughs> in knots by... Uh, yeah by uh, playing more matches and also the higher you get up the rankings the more likely you are to get offered the exhibitions to get offered the big bucks to play the IPTL and there there therein lies an extra dilemma yes indeed well there certainly are plenty of uh 
occasions that you are offered very enticing rewards for playing more. There's no question about that. I do feel, though, some players just sign up for way too much throughout the year and end up costing themselves physically when they get to the back end of the season. One other comment that was interesting actually came from Judy Murray uh, on Twitter, completely unrelated to this issue. She wasn't replying to our uh, request for, for, for contributions. She just put out on Twitter unsolicited seriously atp and wta the tennis season is way too long sometimes less is more what are your thoughts about that well i know that steve simon the new ceo of the wta agrees with her he did a press conference in uh, in singapore his first his first press conference in the job his first big press conference in the job and uh, he was asked you know first question hard hitting one he was asked what his priorities are and he said unquestionably it's shortening the season now whether he has in mind to create gaps or you know whatever it is and it or whether he just wants to physically shorten it so the off season is longer you know he was very clear that I've no idea how I'm going to do this we know how big a, a mountain that is to climb but he was very clear that that is his one major priority and uh, it was music this is the problem the though so, so, so many people have tried this that's the problem is how do you actually do it when you look at all the component parts of the tennis calendar the amount of people that have got a vested interest players tournaments sponsors it's a real soup of different types of interests isn't it and and very very difficult to get anybody to do anything differently from what they're already doing you've got to have such an idealistic viewpoint and just be prepared to just charge it through or you've got to be the most fabulous politician uh, and uh, i think one example of of how things can change is what phil brook did with wimbledon yeah that's very interesting i mean i i, I think for all those reasons you've just said uh, that was why i found it particularly impressive that Steve Simon didn't beat around the bush or mince his words with that being his priority because you know he set himself a marker and a, and a target now if he fails to achieve that it will probably be judged a failure so to set himself a target that we know is probably the most difficult to achieve thing in in our sport in terms of you know the the being an executive in our sport I, I found it impressive that he didn't shy away from from making that one of the major markers by which his his reign as ceo will be measured one thing i do agree with judy about is that i do think an off season is important for tennis fans as well as for players and for the overall quality of the product i think it's important to miss tennis to some degree and i think that is one of the problems we have with the iptl i think as a as a general concept as an idea and from what we actually saw produced last year i thought the, the tennis was 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 really entertaining i thought the the camaraderie shown between the players was refreshing having them all out on the court i think there was so much good about the iptl last year i just think its position in the calendar makes it undesirable ultimately because you just don't get chance enough time to have away from tennis the way that you do with a football season i think when you don't have the world cup in the 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 british football season the european football season for instance and you get that a couple of months off you get time to miss it and i think that's quite healthy yeah i mean my my recommendation if you if you do want to have the opportunity to uh, to miss tennis is to sign up to sky broadband <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Catherine Whittaker is not going to let this lie, Sky Broadband. You better get around there. Now, Catherine, before we uh, sign off for another episode, uh, the ATB Champions Tour has been in Monterey, Mexico for the first time over the last week. John McEnroe, Pete Sampras, Mats Valander, Thomas Muster, Henri Leconte and Thomas Enquist were all there. Sampras won it, beating the ageless John McEnroe in the final. Uh, the week was also notable for the fact that the tournament is also played alongside a challenger tournament and one very nice moment saw Sampras, one of the greatest players of all time, certainly in the US, presenting a birthday cake to the newly turned 18-year-old Taylor Fritz, of whom a lot is expected in America. He's one of a crop of bright young things from the United States. And uh, I spoke to Josh Mizell, who was the man in charge of organizing the media operation out in the ACP Champions Tour event there in Monterey. He also works very closely on the Challenger Tour throughout the year. And I asked him, first of all, about the final between Sampras and McEnroe and whether Sampras could still play. He can, and I tell you, Johnny Mack can play as well. I mean, that final, especially the, the second set, was extremely tight. And for someone as old, as Samper said after the match, for someone as old as McEnroe is, he can move very well. And uh, there was this lovely moment where Sampras, I saw the pictures that you, you put out on social media of Sampras with this young fella, Taylor Fritz. He got a birthday cake for him, a massive, great big chocolate cake, which isn't exactly <laughs> setting a great example, is it? We're well, supposed to be professional athletes. But anyway, we'll, we'll overlook that. And, and he, was, he, he had a bit of a hit with him as well, didn't he? What, what, did, he, what did he make of Taylor Fritz? Well, first of all, that was a completely unexpected moment because uh, Sampras actually suggested to hit with Taylor Fritz and Taylor is a huge always been a huge Sampras fan growing up and uh, when I spoke to Taylor at the US Open he mentioned that and I sort of slotted it in the back of my mind and then when when Sampras mentioned that on the first day and he didn't have a hitting partner for his first practice I thought well that's this is a perfect so I approached Taylor and and uh, we coordinated it and Taylor was completely in the dark about it um, his his coach actually told him that they found someone else for him to hit with and that Pete wasn't available. And then he strolled up onto the practice court and Pete was waiting there with a cake in his hands. And it was just the expression on his face was pretty much like a kid in a candy store. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. It was it was unbelievable. And they had they hit for a half hour and Pete was on the ground afterwards. He was so tired because Taylor just had him him moving left to right and it was it was quite the moment and then for about 20 minutes after the practice they uh they chatted on the side and um Pete gave him some good pointers and and some tips on how to improve his game and it was uh it was just just a very very nice moment to to combine those two tours in that in that way and that's Yeah, I I saw one of the tips that he gave uh, young Taylor Fritz was Get off your phone. Yes, yes. Or right after the practice, Taylor went to uh, to his to the chair, and he just sat down and pulled out his phone. And Pete sits standing there, looking at him like, uh, "What?" <laughs> and Taylor's coach, Christian Grow, who actually uh, works with Tommy Haas, he he started laughing, and, and he said, eh, "He's uh, he's eighteen now, so it, it happens." <laughs> sure happens. Now. I mean, you you're around the challenger circuit quite a lot there is there is a group of them isn't there uh, taylor fritz is there's a lot of talk about him 
tell us why that is. I mean, he's a big guy. He's got, mm-hmm. Pete Sampras was saying he's got a he's got a big game and he's won a lot of matches recently, hasn't he? But he's not the only one. He's one of a group of young Americans of whom a lot is expected. It is pretty remarkable to see. I mean, he played uh, Tommy Paul in the final of the U.S. Open as another rising American, and and you have players like uh, the great story with Francis Tiafo and Stefan Kozlov, Michael Moe. Uh, you just have uh, an immense group of just talent for these rising Americans, and they're all under the age of 19, which is pretty remarkable. And Taylor, in particular, has a big game, but he can also uh, he also has the uh, the mindset of of keeping points short and not taxing his body so much at at such a young age, and that's important. I was talking to his coach about that in in Monterey, and that's what he emphasized: the fact that they. They did not. I mean, he's been playing for played the U.S. Open, played three challengers in a row. They went down to Mexico. They don't want to to tax him so much, but his style of play doesn't really yield that. So it's uh, it was good to see, and he uh, he definitely has a bright future. Is there one of these that when you talk to coaches around the circuit, they're the challenger circuit, is there one of them or is there two of them that are expected to sort of have their head and shoulders above the rest eventually? Because if you think back to that that group of of Sampras and Courier and Chang and Agassi and David Wheaton, they were all around at the same time and, and they all had their moments, didn't they? Where where and obviously Sampras and Agassi probably ahead of all of them, maybe Courier as as well. But which is the one that is creating the most buzz out of all of those? Well it's funny because if you asked me that a year ago, I'd probably say Stefan Kozlov because he made the final of he was one of the youngest Americans to make a final of a challenger when he did so in Sacramento. And since then Francis TFO has sort of stuck his head above the rest at the beginning of the year and then uh, and Tommy Paul did the same in qualifying for the US Open, one of 10 teenagers I believe to qualify for the US Open and the only American. And then now it's uh it's Taylor. And and exactly that's exactly what Taylor said to me was that they're all pushing each other, and you can see that because they all want to be the best. They're all having their moments, and it's really difficult to choose one that's going to have the best career. And that's what's so intriguing about this dynamic between these young Americans is that we we don't really know. One month we think we know, and then the next month another one of them has a great result and and takes the spotlight. Uh, and what about this uh, this young Swedish lad? There are Swedish brothers, aren't they? Elias and Mikhail, who have done so well, and, and they've actually had a really big result, haven't they, for the Davis Cup over the last 24 hours? Yes, uh, Sweden beat Denmark. Uh, actually, Mikhail beat Denmark in a uh, deciding rubber in the fifth set. He actually won two live rubbers, his first two, at the age of, I believe he's 17 years old. Yet he... W- reached the final of the junior Wimbledon this year and, and actually lost to another rising American, Riley Opelka, in the final. But uh, no, Riley he, Opelka, isn't he as big as Ivo Karlovic? Uh, I've heard that he's actually still growing and he might be the first seven-footer on tour, <laughs> which, is, which is incredible. But uh, no, he's, he's a man-mountain, and uh, he's, got, he's got a huge serve. And uh, no, he, definitely another one of another American to to keep an eye on but yes Mikhail uh he pushed uh Sweden back into the into group one and avoided relegation and he was the hero this week and and when I was in Monterey I mentioned that to uh Mats Villander about uh both Elias and Mikhail and uh asked them since 
Robin Soderling has has drifted away, who from Sweden is really picking up the slack and surging to the forefront. And he immediately pointed to these two young kids and and said that it's just a fascinating story on top of their talent. The fact that they their father is an immigrant from Africa and that dynamic is just creating uh, just all this attention for them. And it's just fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how these young players evolve, how their careers develop, whether they become the players that we're all talking about in the next five to ten years. Josh, been great to have your insight. Thanks very much for joining us here on the Tennis Podcast. Anytime, David. Appreciate it. Tell you what, Catherine, it, it whets the appetite, doesn't it, to, to hear about all these young American players, particularly the Americans. I mean, Mikhail Imer as well and his brother Elias, that, that's a, a lovely little storyline in itself. But goodness me, we've missed a group of strong American players. Andy Roddick, yes, he did have some support from James Blake and Marty Fish, Robbie Ginepri for a, a while, but there has been a lack of really strong and, and very young American talent at the, the top end of the game. Now, some of the players that Josh talked about there are ranked way down in the rankings currently because they barely started. Opelka is 905 in the world. Kozlov is 409. Taylor Fritz is the highest at 205. Tommy Paul at 316. But still, it is, it is nice to, to think that we may have a group of American players at the top end again in the future. It really is. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the wait there's been for that does inevitably mean that there is going to be enormous pressure on these guys' shoulders. I mean, I hear the name Taylor Fritz mentioned more than I've heard the name of any other youngster in, in recent history, really. I mean, to, to say that he's being talked about is an understatement you know the yearning not just for an american champion of course that's important but for the yearning for there to be that 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 group that you know that sampras agassi chang curry i mean of course to to expect that again is is probably too much um but to have have a group where more than one is a, a genuine grand slam contender i mean i i think it's important that all the Grand Slam holding nations have um, have players that can can challenge for the title. I think it, it enhances those tournaments, which are the most important tournaments of the year in, in tennis. Um, the the one that I'm most excited by in terms of watching and the story is uh, Francis Tiafo. I think he, if he could put it all together, would just be magnificent for tennis. You know, he, he why, why is that? His dad uh, was an immigrant from Sierra Leone. He got a job uh, as a janitor in a local tennis club. He and the whole family, Francis and his and his, I think, younger brother, lived in one bedroom in the it, actually on site at the tennis club where his dad was a janitor. One of the few perks was that the the family got use of the tennis courts when when the members weren't using them. Francis picked up a racket, had enormous talent. Um, but still, you know, into his early teens, didn't have the money to, to go on, on the circuit and, uh, and make a go of it on the junior circuit. I mean, and, uh, he, he, he's been backed by a benevolent billionaire. I think somebody that made their money in the city, somebody that as, as I understand it, isn't, hasn't done it for investment purposes. He, he genuinely was just completely taken by the story Francis Tiafo um, and his uh, has backed him for for benevolent reasons and and also his style of play is is marvelous. He's got serious 
skill. Um, I would like to see him grow a bit. He's not enormous at, at the moment, um, but he's still got time. Um, and, and you know, Riley Opelka, they reckon, is going to grow several more inches, don't they? Which he, he could probably do with stopping growing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I am excited by the prospect of Francis Tierfo becoming a... Even the, just the possibility of him becoming a, a force in tennis because uh, he's marvellous in every way. I, I want you to keep growing, Riley. I, I, I love tall people. You know, we, we, we've got to stick together. That's what I say. Catherine, very nice to talk to you as always here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Do go to Telegraph Sport to read all the reports of Simon Briggs. Do subscribe on iTunes or Android to us at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Do leave a review because if you say nice things on, on iTunes about us, we go up in the rankings. We were in the top 100 all last week. That means lots more people find out about us and we can do lots more shows and loads more people download the show. But anyway, first of all, thank you to, for listening to us and we'll speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 